0: The Faith That Saves, it seems like such a strange title for our message. For most of us, we are involved in a church where we're very familiar with the fact that the Bible teaches us without faith, it's impossible to please God. But on the other hand, we live in a day where there is really confusion and even misunderstanding about some of the things that are most foundational to what it means to be a Christian and to walking with God. We certainly have the idea that if someone says they're a Christian or they quote-unquote made a profession of faith, we don't question whether or not that faith is genuine. Whether or not they possess the faith that saves. And yet, when we study the scriptures, we find throughout the New Testament, there are repeated passages that tell us there is an importance for us to even examine ourselves and see whether or not we be in the faith. Paul writing to the Corinthians. Or as James was writing to believers who had been scattered in a variety of different places, we find James spent almost a chapter of that short little book on someone says they have faith. Well, can that faith save them? Or we go to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the fact that the just Shall live by faith. But God says, if anyone would shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We could maybe debate about who's the greatest evangelist of all time, but in my mind, it's a pretty simple answer it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I find concerning him is the fact he didn't give altar calls. He never told people to come forward. In fact, he never told people to pray a sinner's prayer. And as we learned last time, those innovations are really very new, they only date about 125 years ago in the history of our own country and certainly were not the method that were used by people of God before that period of time, even though they're so commonplace to us today. And even more arresting is the fact that they were not used by the apostles as we would study together in the book of Acts. Well, this great evangelist, Jesus Christ, had a rich young ruler that came to him. And isn't it amazing the rich young ruler was asking the question that every evangelist would take delight in hearing someone ask today, Sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And instead of getting a commitment and a decision, we learn that the rich young ruler went away very sorrowful. Walter Chantry's work, Today's Gospel, Authentic or Synthetic, said the following. There's no evidence that the rich young youth ever trusted Christ and repented of sin. But he was honestly confronted with the gospel and its implications for his life. He was not tricked into a confession by the high-powered sales techniques of modern personal workers. There was no subtle manipulation of him by psychological methods that are common to a salesman. When he went away, he really knew the full answer to his question. And the answer that Jesus gave him was, do you want this world or the world to come? He didn't present to him the option, you want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell. What lunatic would ever say, I hope I can go to hell? No, the real question for every one of us is, do I want this world or do I want the world to come? Because you can't serve God and mammon. In the same way as Jesus Christ was presenting truth to people in his own day, we find in the gospel of john in the 5th or the 8th chapter that many of the jews came to believe in him and therefore jesus was saying to those jews who had believed in him and you know what he said do you have the faith that saves and this is how he said it if you are truly a disciple of mine You'll continue in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, what's so, to me, arresting in this passage is the fact that we find later on Jesus rebukes them, these Jews who had believed in him, because they had put their confidence they were Abraham's offspring. And he says, if you were really the offspring of Abraham, you would love me, but instead you are seeking to kill me. Instead, you were of your father, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Amazingly, Jews who believed in him did not have the faith that saves. We also could look at the example of the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus said to them, I know why you're following me. You want to embrace the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. You're following me, you're trusting me because you believe I'm a better welfare system than the U.S. government could ever give you. I am promising you two cars in every garage. I am promising you, you will have prosperity like never before. And the sad reality is the only ones who usually have that prosperity are the shysters who proclaim that gospel. And so the real question for every one of us today, and especially in America where we're so confused about the basic meaning of even so elemental things like faith, Is is my faith the faith that saves, or am I an individual that has somehow been deluded? We have been looking in Acts chapter 20, where we have seen the Apostle Paul giving his farewell message to the elders who were located in Ephesus. And he was on his way to Jerusalem. He knew that this was the last opportunity that he'd have to be with them. And out of concern for the well-being of God's people, he said in verse 28 of Acts 20, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, from Christian leaders, disciples will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Be on the alert. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And the enemy of our souls is the master of confusion, and he is the master of counterfeiting. And the problem in America is we have been lulled to sleep in complacency. And we have sadly embraced the misconception that just because someone says they're a Christian, there's a genuineness that is there. I even looked up some of the definitions that we can find about this idea of faith. And interestingly enough, what a lot of people will find as they try to understand it is that faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And then it gave the example, which I have to admit almost caused me to fall on the floor rolling over in laughter, like the restoring of one's faith in politicians, If you ever want to know of something ludicrous, it's to think that I have a confident trust in politicians because all they're doing is saying what they believe you want to hear in order for them to gain your vote. And the more persuasive and more charismatic they are, the more people embrace them. And this definition is saying that's what true faith is really like. Then it says, now here's something we need to be wary of. It could be strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based upon spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Faith in the context of religion is such that one has uh, confidence or trust in a particular system of religious belief. Religious people often think of faith as confidence based upon a perceived degree of warrant, while others who are more skeptical of religious ten religious ideas tend to think of faith as simply belief without evidence now i 'm not saying faith has evidence in the sense of supporting, but I hope you understand. Part of being creatures is every one of us has presuppositions that we take for granted, and that's what is the basis for what we accept or don't accept. And what we find is that every creature operates on the basis of faith. And it is a confident trust in either what man says or what God says. It is a confident trust in either what the creature says or what God himself says, and it's an issue that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God said, the day you eat, you'll die. The creature said, God's keeping back all the goodies from you because he knows the day you eat, you won't die, but you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And what a turmoil we have been in ever since. You are either putting confidence in what the experts say, in what man says, in what the creature says, or you are putting confidence in what God says. And both are based on unprovable presuppositions. And the difference is what man says as being absolute is always changing. What God says is an absolute is still in the first edition. God has never had to rewrite any part of his disclosure that he's made to man. And whatever science book, history book, any other textbook anybody follows is going to be revised and edited again and again and again because man knows he does not have truth in any area of life. And he's still trying to discover it. But the distinction is God's word is truth. It's the unchangeable absolute in which we can put our confidence. And so we live in a day where instead of embracing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, there are so many counterfeits and ideas that people embrace that leads them astray. If we look at Paul's ministry, he said that he didn't shun from declaring to them anything that was profitable. He solemnly testified to them of the gospel of the grace of God. He preached to them the whole purpose of God and the essence of his message was repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we had seen previously is the fact that even these two elementary things, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can be manipulated, altered, and changed, and have been to where they become works themselves. And so individuals that focus more on the idea of repentance think that I have to have some level of sorrow about my unworthiness just to make myself worthy in order to be accepted to God. And the reality is this word repentance means you've changed how you've thought about something. You used to think you were good and now you understand, no, you're not. You used to think I'm better than most people and now you understand I'm down there in the gutter with everyone. You used to think God is this doting old grandfather that would just be thrilled to death to have me as somebody that says, I'm trusting you to where I now recognize he is the supreme king of glory and he is not dependent upon me and I'm dependent upon him. I come to understand that he is holy and righteous in all of his ways. And if he would ever number my sins, no one could ever stand before him. That's biblical repentance. I come to understand the reality of who God is and who I am before him. And through that, my trust, my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have done the same thing as we saw before. I make faith a work. I somehow believe faith is met. Medi- oh, boy. Meritorious. I somehow think faith is the initiator of something rather than the response and reception of something. Faith is a channel by which the blessings of God come. Faith is never that which initiates any of it. It is always a confident, dependent trust upon someone or something to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And so instead, we pray a certain prayer and we're convinced, now I know I'm on my way to heaven. Because we've walked an aisle, because we've made a decision, now we're one of God's children. And that does not necessarily mean it's the case. Now, I don't want to minimize that some people haven't been brought to Christ through these erroneous methods, but it's the recognition that the gospel of God is what God uses to bring individuals to himself in spite of the methods that are often used. And many individuals have come to Christ in spite of erroneous methods because as Paul said when he wrote to the Romans, I'm not embarrassed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Not only is there a problem where faith has been corrupted to make it meritorious or to make it a work, but there is also the problem today of a concentration on faith. In other words, it is my faith in my faith I need to recognize that poor teaching is not only found from pulpits or lectures, it more frequently is found in music because music is uplifting. Music penetrates us more dynamically than anything else. And we find in the history of the church, sometimes the greatest heretical ideas were perpetuated through the music of the day. And individuals that had to stand against it were standing against this wall of individuals that embrace the falsehood that's found in the music. Certainly not saying that all Christian music or what is professed to be Christian music today is like that. But we certainly have a lot of it that teaches us what we need to have is faith in our faith. You know, we find, for example, we have some Christian songs that say something like, Give me the faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me the fa- a hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me the courage of David when he went against Goliath. For what reason? That I can face my giants here with confidence. Now, the first question I'd have to ask is, where in the Bible do you ever learn that we're to pray to God to give us faith? I could be wrong, but I only found one occasion when the disciples ever asked Jesus to give them faith. He was telling them the story, I don't care how many times someone offends you and does to you, which is unkind and inappropriate, If they come to you and say you're sorry, you tell them, I accept your apology. And as he said, I don't care how many times they come, having hurt you again and again and again, you repeatedly forgive them. They responded with, Lord, increase our faith. And you know how Jesus answered them? Faith is not the problem. Your problem is you don't answer your condition before God. Because even if you do everything God commands you to do, remember that you are an unprofitable servant because you only did that which was expected of you. You're not gaining brownie points with God. You're not growing in merit before God. My position before God from the very beginning throughout all of my maturing in Christ and will be in glory is always a gracious act by God. He is bestowing on me what I do not deserve. I never come to the point where I think, God, you now owe me something. And as soon as I have that idea within me, I'll think, why is it I have to forgive them again? And the reality is because God's been forgiving me today as well. And the better I understand my position before God, the more likely it is I'll have a genuine spirit of forgiveness for my offending brother. Isn't that part of what the Lord taught us to pray in what we typically call the Lord's prayer, which is really the prayer for us as his disciples to pray? Forgive us this day our temptations, our sins, even as we forgive those who have offended us. Do you understand what you just prayed if you pray that? That God will forgive me for my sins, my offenses, my wrongdoings, With the same standard by which I will forgive others. And so, when you're harboring that ill feeling towards somebody that's offended you, forgive us this day our offenses, even as we forgive others. Because God enables his people to have a spirit of forgiveness. And so, I don't find a biblical concept that I should be asking God to give me faith. In the same way, my faith is not in my faith. That's certainly true in prosperity gospel. That is certainly true in the health and wealth mindset. That is certainly true from the idea that, as another chorus would say, if you believe it, you will receive it. If you feel it, someone testify, testify. Because you know, If you're lost, Jesus is the way maker. If you're sick, he is the great healer. If you are um, lonely, he's the one that comforts. Aren't those things true? But the reality is, if you believe it, you will receive it. If you feel it, somebody testify. So if I don't receive it, what's the problem? My faith. Because what I'm encouraged to do by the faith healers, by the prosperity gospel preachers, by those who send, if you'll send me that $100, God's gonna multiply what you have. You don't have enough faith. The reason you're not made better The reason you still have problems, the reason, whatever it is, is you lack faith. We're confused today and we put faith in our faith. And nowhere are we ever to put our faith, our confidence in our faith. Our faith and confidence needs to be in someone who is much bigger than our faith and to recognize that even if I have the smallest amount of faith, the faith like a grain of mustard, I can say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be done. A misconception about faith. The other would be that there's confusion as to all that faith really means. What I need to understand is that while faith is individual, that it's personal, that it is something that I'm expressing. It is also something that I can define and I can understand. What is faith? Well, it's confidence, it's trust, it's dependence. But faith includes three essential components. And the first aspect of faith is you can't trust something if you don't know that thing. You have to have knowledge. And that's where the response of faith begins. God is the one that reveals himself to his people through his word. And they begin to see that he is a being who is dependable and trustworthy the first important aspect of faith is the knowledge that I have that God is able. In a work that was done over a 100 years ago when our culture was still wrestling with the same thing and moving into existentialism and all the foolish ideas as to what it is to have faith and as long as you're really sincere, that's all that matters. Princeton theologian by the name of J. Grachen Machen wrote a work called what is faith and in this he said here we come to the point which we ought to be emph- which ought to be emphasized above all others just as at the present day it is impossible to have faith in a person without having knowledge of that person far from being contrast With knowledge, faith is founded upon knowledge. And that assertion runs all through the biblical record. And so you and I need to understand that my faith is built on the knowledge of the faithfulness and capability of God as he has disclosed himself to me. And if I want to increase my faith, which should be your desire as it should be mine, guess how it is I do it? It's not by looking for some existential experience and encounter with God. It is studying in his word to learn more of him. For he has given us this book to disclose himself to us. That we could have a firm foundation of faith. And the reality is, the people I know the best, I trust without even thinking about what it is to trust them. Isn't that true? I'm not sitting there when I get up today and think, I really need to believe that I can depend upon Kathy. She's been my wife all these years, but I'm not so sure. But I'm going to bite my lip and believe it anyway. The reality is she has disclosed herself to me year after year, circumstance after circumstance, that she is a dependable person. And I don't even think about the fact, you know, I'm really depending on her. I'm trusting her. It's the natural thing you do when you know someone. And so it is with God. And it's a growing experience. I love the quote of Anselm back in the time of the church fathers. He said, I believe in order that I may know, and I know in order that I may believe. It's intertwined. God discloses himself to us. Our confidence is in him. And the more we're depending on him and learning of him, the more our faith grows. Not only is faith a knowledge, it is also an assent, an agreement with that knowledge. I see that God is reliable and I believe that he is reliable. The Latin term that is used by theologians is essentia. It's the emotional response or the assent, the agreement, the acceptance that I have that he is reliable. And this is, is the point that most individuals go to when they talk about trusting Christ. I agree. I believe those propositions are true. But that is not saving faith. Because the final component is not just accepting the propositions, not just accepting the information not just believing I know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and I'm one of those that have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know that salvation is the gift of God. Eternal life is the gift that he gives. But the final portion of that is what is called fiducia. That is a reliance upon, a confident trust in, not depending upon my decision, not depending upon my act, not depending upon the propositions, but I am trusting in, I am depending on the person. And that person is the one who is able to save me and to deliver me from my sin. Paul said it like this when he wrote to Timothy recorded for us in Second Timothy, I know whom I Have believed. Do you know him? Our God is a personal God. He's not just an idea. He's not just a powerful force. You have personality because God made you in his image. And the things and the capabilities he's given to you are just glimpses of what's true of him. You can see because he sees all things. And he doesn't even need to use x-rays to see in our inner self. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And it is a recognition that Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And the faith that saves is a confident, dependent, trust of this God with whom I've now entered into a relationship and am growing in that relationship each and every day. It's not sitting back on the fact that I went forward, I prayed a prayer, I made a decision. Because if that's all that it's left with, then I'm like the group of which Jesus said, if you're genuinely one of my disciples, you'll have a hunger for and you'll continue in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you're content with your decision, if you're content with something you did, if you're content with just agreeing that these propositions are true, and that's where you leave it, you have every reason to question whether or not you have the faith that saves. Please remember, reasonable doubts will never damn you. But foolish presumption will. God's people can question the reality that they have the faith that saves. God's people can lack the assurance they're really one of His. Isn't that right? I have a whole book of the Bible that was written because that's a reality for God's people at different times within their walk with the Lord. As one of the Puritans stated when it looked about this truth, his name was William Gurnall, faith is not assurance. If it were, St. John might have spared his pains who wrote to them who had believed on the name of the Son of God that they might know that they have eternal life. (laughs) They would have just said, hey, we already have that. Reasonable doubts will never damn you. Foolish presumption will. And what I need to understand is that the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. The real issue is do I have a relationship with this living God? Has he been pleased to cause me to recognize I am undone before him and I have no hope unless he is pleased to give to me eternal life? Do I understand that these things are genuine? They're true. That I recognize that the things that God has said to us in his word are valid. And am I resting on the reality that Christ Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, is the only one sufficient to make me acceptable to God. A child of God has no plan B. I'm not trusting Christ, but hoping I have enough merit in myself. I am trusting Christ because I have no merit to commend me before God. And if Jesus Christ is not able to deliver me from the just penalty of God's judgment upon me, I will receive what I justly deserve the wrath and the punishment of God for my sin. I have no other hope of being acceptable. To him. It's trusting in a person. It's recognizing that as was brought up earlier, as Paul wrote to the Romans, if with your mouth you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You understand why he is saying that. Because it is something that is an expression of what you really understand in your inner being. Isn't Jesus the one that said that what will condemn you are the words that come out of your mouth? Because what comes out of your mouth is what fills your heart. And so with your mouth, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you understand he is the divine being, God who became man and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten. And if in your heart you believe that God raised him from the dead, the recognition of the all-sufficient and finished work of Jesus Christ, that the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God in him and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just some mystical not just some spiritual, ghostly appearance of Christ, but the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the affirmation that it is finished, that the work of redemption has been completed, and those who trust in him will never be ashamed. You won't be embarrassed if when you stand before God, you say, Lord, The only thing I have to commend me to you is Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I am trusting in him to bring me safely into your presence. That's the faith that saves. And if you are relying on anything else, no matter how sincere you may believe it, no matter how meritorious you may think it is, there is no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. It's only those that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his finished work that will be acceptable to God. Today we tend to make it so difficult and so confusing when the Apostle Paul was approached by the Philippian jailer, he said, sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, you better pray this prayer. Paul didn't say, I need to make sure you understand all the doctrinal issues associated with it. See, what I need to recognize is God does to the gospel what only the gospel can do. And it's not my ability to persuade someone of what they need to do or try to explain things to them. Paul's answer was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say you need to make Christ Lord in your life. He didn't say you need to clean up your life in order to be acceptable to God. He said there is only one person you can depend upon to deliver you from the wrath you deserve for your offenses against God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? And today we want to make it so difficult, and it's because the evil one is at work. He's trying to counterfeit the genuine. He's trying to keep people in a state of confusion so people become convinced if I'm really sincere about the religion that I embrace, somehow God's pleased and he therefore has to accept me. And the reality is, number one, God doesn't need any one of us. Number two, that God gets along very fine without any one of us. And it's only those who come through the one that he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead, whereby any one of us are acceptable to God. And what's involved in that faith? I see what God is like. I got to learn more of him. He's still a great being of mystery. But I know he's the personal God who is holy and righteous. I'm undone in his presence. I recognize that he has given his son and that when he died on the cross, while it was a great miscarriage of justice, it was still under the hand of Almighty God to deal with the offenses of others because the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But those who will be saved are the ones who are depending upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that is all that I can have to make myself acceptable to God. I am trusting him to do for me what I neither have the ability nor the desire to do for myself. Jesus Christ Is the author and the finisher of my faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth and how I pray, how I pray that you would cause us to really reflect upon the reality of our relationship with you, to know that we're not putting our confidence in works of our hands, in things that we believe to be meritorious, in anything other than the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ our Lord and the sacrifice that he has made for unworthy sinners. Father, may your spirit so work within us to convince us that we are your children, May we not rely upon something other than what you alone do for your own. And how I pray, Father, that with the message that we've had the time to study today, that your spirit would so work that the blessings of God would rest upon all who hear. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.